You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Hey, Bethel, how's everybody doing? I forgot the memo. We were supposed to wear flannel. Everyone's in flannel again. It's flannel season. It's going to be fun. It's Friday at the barn. I'm excited to launch this week. You guys are going to have a big week here at Bethel. I was thinking as I was driving over, I forgot I gave you guys headphones last time I came. Ah, oh, man. Instead, this time I brought you guys books. So if you are freshmen, sorry about the headphone uh, laps, but uh, I almost gave you mine. But this book, by the way, is free for everyone here in chapel today. We've counted uh, how many would be here, and we just thought, uh, actually, we'll believe in the message of the book. And so here's one thing I request. Don't um, throw it out. If you uh, don't want it, don't take it. And if you have it, give an extra copy to someone else. And then when you finish reading it, pass it on. The nice thing about the book, and it's ironically titled, in case you're wondering, don't tell anyone you're reading this, and uh, we'll get into why in a second. But the, um, the cover on hardback books can be removed. Imagine. So you can look like you're carrying any book if you're embarrassed to read a book about sex in public. And by the way, guys, this is not just a girl's book. It's for everyone, uh, including you guys who um, are like, I'm not taking that because it has a woman's picture on it. So y'all can also get it. All right. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to use Genesis chapter 3 as a bounce off uh, into this uh, topic. I have a feeling that passage of Scripture is going to come up again as you guys delve into this week's conversation, and I'm so excited about the fact that y'all are spending a whole week talking about this topic. Um, and on a side note, Sean, who's not here, assured me that I'm not going to slide off this stage. We'll see. Y'all know I move around a lot as I speak, but, uh, but I think that this uh, topic of conversation has been taboo in the church. And you're in a Christian college, so maybe it's a little bit more talked about, but my, uh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in Lebanon, but got saved, came to Christ as a child in a Christian home. Uh, I loved Jesus for as far back as I can remember. Many of you here uh, sort of connect with that. Uh, so I, uh, I moved to the United States, to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, uh, in 1987, I was a senior in high school. And I, shortly after that, went to Christian camp, the summer after my senior year in high school. And though I already had accepted Jesus into my heart, I sort of dedicated my life to Christ at that point and really sort of set the tone for my life in terms of where I went to college and what I studied and what I wanted to do with my life. And, and many of you who are in a Christian college, either you're here because you had a similar experience or your parents made you. Right? Some of you. Uh, I think that was the common thing at my Christian college. And so, <laughs> I, don't, I guess things changed maybe, but, but basically you're here uh, because you're hoping uh, that your uh, life course will be moved by God in some way. And if you aren't hoping that, I pray that in the course of the next four years of your life, you'll see that. Um, no one warned me when I was in college that um, the Christian life would be as hard as it has been. I, I think I always thought that the hardest part of the Christian life would be like saying yes to Jesus, right? And then after that, I sort of thought he was like our secret weapon. Like if you prayed about something, it happened, right? Because we're Christians. We have God on our side. Like we think, think about that in church. And, and I, I just think over the course of my life, it's been interesting to see the challenges. Of course, my last book, Fractured Faith, talks about my season of deconstruction after leaving a mega church and sort of the hurt that can come in being a Christian and, and with other Christians. You know, Christianity is great until you start hanging out with other Christians, right? And many of you have roommates this year. You're like, amen to that. Just like, uh, it's crazy. And, 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 and the church is sort of plagued with people 
that you don't like and uh, often pastors that you no longer respect. And many of the stories that we've heard in uh, our pastors, in uh, our culture have uh, sort of come out as having these major um, disasters in their personal life. And such a story happened a year ago, and when I heard it, it just shocked me that this worship leader had blown up his family because I knew this worship leader, and his story was all over the news uh, back when it came out, and it just sort of hit home. And because of it, I ended up writing this book to talk about uh, sex because I do not think that we do it well. As a doctor in the ER, I talk about sex a lot, and as a human in the United States, we talk about sex a lot, but when it comes to Christianity and uh, just being around others who who claim uh, what I believe is truth, which is the word of God, we just sort of avoid things. It's more comfortable for us not to talk about them. So we talk in code. My um, earliest memory of a Christian talk on sex was um, at camp where we had guys on one side and girls on the other. And the lady had us, I don't know if y'all still do this, but she had this rose that like she passed around, you know, it's so cheesy. I can't even believe I'm telling you this. But like, like literally by the end, and everyone knew it because like you talked about it before and everyone knew like, what are you gonna be talking about in the girls alone, guys alone session? You know, it was like, ooh. And so then we'd pass around this rose and by the end we'd be like, look at how mangled the rose is. And this was like the call to purity. And, and, and as much as I respect that approach, you know, sort of they did the best they could in that time, we're no longer living in that era. We're in 2023. And if you have a phone, then you have access to things that we never thought we'd have access to. In fact, uh, someone told me on Friday, a guy's going to be here talking about something related to porn and, and about start, you know, sort of being aware of the problem before it starts. And I chuckled and I said, well, you know, the sad thing is they're about 10 years too late because the problem of porn starts for most people at age, age 11. Uh, the statistics show that the majority of kids have already seen uh, some level of pornography by age, age 11, and that is stunning to me. But what's more stunning to me is how great we are at keeping secrets. And, and so, like, just to tell you a little bit, the Journal of Psychology came out with some numbers that uh, people in general, we're really good at keeping secrets. And uh, there's no better secret to keep than sex secrets. In fact, they identified 38 categories, the psychologists, of secrets that people keep. And there are a whole lot of things like habits that we keep, addictions, uh, past abortions, um, affairs, on and on, all sorts of things. And 97% of people who were screened in the survey had at least a secret in one category. Think about that, 97% of humans had secrets in one category, and the average person who was surveyed kept secrets in 13 categories, and it should be no surprise to you that most of those secrets related to sexual baggage of some sort. That's shocking, think about that. Like the majority of us right now sitting here in this room have a secret, and uh, not me, because it's all in this book. So if you're wondering what I've written about, all my secrets are here. And, um, and secrets are interesting. Um, you, we think that if we don't tell anyone that somehow they'll dissipate and they'll be, we'll be fine. And yet, uh, eventually, they come up to haunt us. And almost every story of a Christian's life who has imploded, especially leaders who have imploded, uh, at some point lived in secret. And when it came to life, that when it came to light, that secret destroyed their reputation, their families. And so how does it all start? Well, I want to give you, you know, I sort of wrestled with what to do with the 25 minutes that I have with you guys. And, and so I, I've sort of uh, titled this message, Is It Worth the Fight? Is it worth the fight? I mean, we're Christians, we hold to a certain 
value. And by the way, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, nothing wrong with that. We, I hope that you will see the beauty of Christ in the, if not today, then in the coming days and weeks as you spend time with other Christians. I don't think it's uh, uh, for you, you know, it's, it's, I would imagine that if you're here and you haven't received Jesus yet, that it would be awkward to be in a Christian college if you're that person. But let me let you know that that would not be surprising. Like, I don't assume in any way that everybody here already knows Jesus as their Savior. You might even be acting like you know him just to fit in. You might be saying the right words, but you have no relationship with Christ. By the way, I don't think problems with our sexuality are restricted to Christians or non-Christians. Everybody has them. The only difference is that we Christians hold to a certain understanding of what the Bible and hopefully belief and, and, and some submission to what the Bible teaches. And I'll get to that in a minute because I have just four points for us today, this morning. Four points on is it worth the fight? And I hope that you'll see it is worth the fight. So I sort of subtitled this, what I have learned about healthy sexuality, faithful Christianity, and the ache in my heart. What I have learned about healthy sexuality, faithful Christianity, and the ache in my heart. And honestly, I thought about a number of different uh, topics, uh, uh, biblical passages that could go along with this topic. I started off in 1 John. Then I thought we could talk about Romans 8. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But I landed on Genesis chapter 3 because I think it's essential to understand um, sort of where it all came from, this problem with our sin in general, but specifically as we talk about issues related to sexuality. So it's a famous passage of scripture, Genesis 3, the story of Eve, and it is true, you can blame everything on Eve, I guess, because today, as you read it, you're going to see, like, she's the one who started it, and uh, I'm sad to say that the Bible does put the responsibility on Adam, so guys, uh, you're not off the hook here, in fact, you carry the burden of it, but according to Romans and the Apostle Paul and through the Holy Spirit, but we're not pointing fingers, <laughs> so Genesis chapter 3, Verse 1 says this. This is, by the way, if you're new to the Bible, again, I don't want to assume. Genesis 1 and 2 are the story of creation. God creates a perfect world, and he, in the world, after he creates it, he makes humans. He blows into life Adam, and then from Adam, he takes his rib and makes a woman, his perfect woman, Eve. And so they're perfect, literally, in every way. They have a perfect environment, the perfect place to live, a perfect job, a perfect relationship with God. Like, nothing could go wrong for this couple, except that God told them there was one thing out of everything in the world that they could do, there was one thing that God said you cannot do, and that was to eat of the fruit uh, of the, uh, well, actually, let me read it. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God planted a garden in verse 8, and out of the ground, verse 9, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then later in chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So now we jump to chapter 3 and it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Which God didn't say anything about touching, but let's not split hairs. Um, but still, the point is, uh, the serpent was luring her with something that she wasn't supposed to have. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
So Adam was not an innocent bystander. I mean, he was watching the whole thing. It wasn't like he was out, you know, cropping the fields and whatever they did. He was right there watching it, and he agreed, and neither sought the opinion of God, neither paid attention to that. But the minute they ate, verse 7, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. They had a secret now. And they hid. First, they saw that they were naked. This was something that was not an awareness before. There was freedom. And now they hid themselves, thinking this might solve the problem. But that wasn't enough because it says in verse uh, 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife now wasn't only sufficient to hide their own guilt, but now they hid from God because they were ashamed. So there's guilt and there's shame. And, and in the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now, this is God, remember, who created the world in six days, according to scripture. He, he's the one who like put the moon in the sky and the planets and all the things that you see, every tree, every animal, like God knew where they were. This question wasn't for the benefit of God. It was for them. And he said, I heard, so Adam responds, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And, and so God says, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, see, we blame it on Eve, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God goes on and curses and, and, and tells them about what happens as a result of the fall. He curses the serpent and he sets up some of the things that would happen post-fall. And then verse 20, and I'm going to read this because uh, I'm going to then give you some application points here. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I'm going to come back to the significance of that. So, so you see, in case you zoned out here for a minute, I don't blame you. Maybe you have calculus in the morning and you're like, oh, or a test later today. We're going to pray that God helps you to pass. But in this moment, pay attention. Listen, God creates a perfect world. He puts Adam and Eve in. He tells them you can have everything, enjoy everything, have as much sex as you want, do whatever it is that you want, except one tree, not that. And then they have a conversation with the serpent. And within a minute, She's lured away and says, man, I can't believe that God's holding back from this one thing from my life. I, I don't understand it. Does God hate me? Why does he do this? Why wouldn't he let me eat it? Maybe he's wrong. Maybe I would be wiser. Maybe the serpent's right. And in a moment, she makes a decision that sets everything. The reason you and I struggle today is because of what happens here in the garden. Not just with sex, but with every single sin, with gossip and anger and, and jealousy and you name it. Every single sin that we have in our life grew out of this. We are now born sinners. And and Adam falls, and, 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 and they try to hide themselves, and they can't quite hide from God. And God, at the end of the story, does something incredibly redemptive. And so is it worth the fight? Now, this was back thousands of years ago, and for thousands of years, we have become the result of this fall. And so throughout our lives, humans who have been born since Adam and Eve, we struggle with sin, with one solution out of sin, and it is the person of Jesus Christ, who actually in Genesis 3.15 is predicted that he would come and save us. And so now they were looking forward to Jesus. We are looking backwards. We know that Jesus saves us. And so you can be like me growing up in a Christian home, reading your Bible every day, going to Christian university, giving your life to Christ, going to Christian camp, working at a Christian camp, telling God that he's the most important person in your life, reading your Bible, journaling, praying, memorizing scripture, and still harbor a secret. And some of your secrets might be a little more respectable than others. We have decided in 2023 what is respectable and what is not. 
We have decided that anyone who struggles with same-sex attraction of any way is not respectable in the church. And yet we give room for some of the other sexual sin. Like now, no one even talks about sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend if you're in a dating relationship committed to be married. And so we don't talk as much about divorce as we used to. We've, we've, we go through phases in our Christian life, but at the end of the day, it's all in this category of sin. And so we spend our lives saying one thing about what we believe, believing it to a certain extent, but wrestling with what is happening in the secret of our hearts, where somebody might find out, but you're hoping, and particularly if you're a young Christian who goes to a Christian college who might be struggling with, let's just pick on the easy one, because I think porn is the easy one. Let's just say your struggle is with porn. You're hoping that someday you'll get married and that your porn problem will go away. So, so many Christians have hoped for that. Do you ever wonder why most pastors who implode sexually, their stories did not happen because they were single? They were all married to someone that they supposedly fell in love with, and yet that's the context of their sexual sense. So it wasn't that they couldn't have sex, because God says you can have sex between a man and a woman who are married, but it's because it doesn't resolve the bigger problem of our hearts and why we turn to the tree that we're not supposed to have. By the way, all of this is what I discuss in the book that you are gonna have a chance to read. And by the way, it's super easy read. So whatever I can't cover in the 20 minutes that I have, I hope that you'll be at least interested and curious enough to read because I think it's essential that we understand what's behind our grabbing on to the fruit, whatever that fruit is. So is it worth the fight? I'm 51. I turned 51 April 29th, so I'm smack halfway through 51. And to this day, I'm going to give you four summary points. Number one is this. You and I, we are not as strong as we think we are. You are not as strong as you think you are. We think that if we become like on the worship team, somehow we will become more godly. And the problem will go away. We think if we could become a RD, is that what you call the resident leaders in your dorms? Like somehow a pastor should no longer have this problem. Look, we're looking at the life of Adam and Eve who had communion with God face to face. They were in the Garden of Eden. There was no need for a Holy Spirit. There was no waiting for Jesus to come. They were in full communion. God was there for them. All they needed to do was call out his name. He was right there. They had everything that they needed. They were the spiritual giants. We think of them as failures, right, because of Genesis 3, but they were the spiritual giants of the time. There was no one else at that point. But they were given the job to, like, name every single animal. Why do we call a cat a cat? Why do we call a dog a dog? Why do we call an ant an ant? Because Adam and Eve named them. Like, they're responsible for everything. There wasn't a thing that was outside of their control except for one thing, and, 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 and we think, man, if I could just be in charge more, if I could just grow in my understanding of Scripture, if I could just get stronger, I believed in my teens that the problem that I wrestled with of lust in whatever way that it manifested itself would somehow get better in my 20s because I'd be outside of the hormonal time. And then in my 20s, I thought, surely if I got married, I got engaged twice, never married, and, and flirted enough with, with sort of whatever it is that you do in the dating relationship, not enough to, to get myself in trouble, but enough to know that everyone who's dating someone is doing more than you confess you're doing. 
make no bones about it. Like, we're not, we're not naive. Like, when, when you, you know, it was like, I watched this comedian yesterday. It was so funny. She's supposed to be a Christian. And she's talking about how she'd come home from, what is her name, Morgan or something? I forget. But anyway, she, she would come home from her dating as a, you know, a high schooler. And, and she'd tell her mom that she had a bruise on her neck because she just, like, ran into something. And her mom would be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, you think that generations ahead of you, like, your parents had to have sex in order to have you. Like, I think they understand the birds and the bees. Your pastor who has kids understands. Like, so it's naive for us to think that somehow, like we show up and they're like, we're not doing anything. Everyone does more than they say they're doing. Some get caught. Some get caught because they get pregnant and then it's a big scandal in the church and it might be the biggest gift that God gives you because it's a chance to deal with your heart. And so we think, if I just get married, I'll resolve the problem. Or then after marriage, you're like, man, if we just have more sex, we'll have a... We think that the problem is resolved by this behavior that we can fix. But it's not because we never get to the root of it, which is our hearts. And, and make, listen, make no mistake, the struggle is real. It's not easy in 2023 to quiet down your flesh. What is the Christian life? It's Galatians 2.20 would be a summary of the Christian life. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It is a death to self and it is a life of Christ. I wish it happened magically. I wish like you became a Christian and you woke up the next day and you never wanted to sin again. But it takes like opening your phone first thing in the morning, scroll, scrolling down to see the weeds of envy come up. The anger, the bitterness. You see a political, not even talking about sex, you see a political statement you don't agree with and you're so mad about it. Then you tell yourself it's justified, it's righteous. But then you see your friends taking a better vacation than you or dating the guy that you used to have a crush on. Or they, and you're like, what is happening? I hate them. I sometimes hate people. The struggle to crucify the flesh is real. If crucifying the flesh was easy, everybody would be doing it. We'd never have a sin problem as Christians, but we know from 1 John that if we say we have no sin, we're lying. We're deceiving ourselves. The good news of the gospel is not that we don't sin, but that Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. And, and so the struggle is real. The struggle does not get easier with time. And that the struggle is not about sex at all. It's about the ache in our hearts. It's about this question, does God want what's best for me? Or more simply stated, is God good? Or even more personally stated, is God good to me right now? You might be struggling with a physical problem or an intellectual disability or, or a relational challenge or a family situation and, or a church mess like I've lived through and over and over again, the temptation in every sin area in our life isn't about what we're doing, but what we believe. Do you believe that God is good to you right now in the circumstance that you're in? All sin, all sin is rooted in disbelief. So you are not as strong as you think you are. Here's a second big idea. You are not as confused about healthy sexuality as you've been told you should be or are. You, we are not as confused about sexual healthy Christianity or Christian healthy sexuality as we're told we should be. 
In 2023, when you watch pastors now talk about what's right and what's wrong, you go, man, has the English language changed? Or has anybody printed a new version of this book? Because last I checked, I understand what the Bible says. It's never been an understanding. It's never been a knowing that's the problem. It's always what we do with whether we will submit to what God has said or not. And yet everywhere we turn, we're told, well, you didn't really believe it correctly. Well, the meaning of the word really means, well, what, all of a sudden in 2023, we think words mean something different. God created us all in his image, male and female. That's it, period. And then he created Adam and Eve, and he put them together in marriage, and he says, you've got to leave your parents and be together. And that was the first marriage in Genesis 2 between one man and one woman, period. As if that's not enough, the entire Old Testament, he reiterates all of these things. He gets to the Ten Commandments and, and says it even more clearly. And then in the New Testament, Jesus even takes it, even talks about this issue multiple times where I started making a list of the way that the Bible tells us about the things that we know, that we're to be faithful in marriage, no other options. Adultery is not okay. Looking at a woman with lustful intent is not okay. We know that. We don't need someone to tell us that. For, for singleness, chastity is the way. You, you, you aren't to be with someone sexually if you're not married to them. And homosexuality, well, we know verses. I wrote down verses. This isn't the matter. You can do a Google search, gothquestions.org. Trans people, you name it, gender, identity, binary, all of the things that we are being told now. Man, you should be confused. Maybe the church is wrong. How can thousands of years and millions of people before us who have studied this extensively because none of the sexual deviancy that we're seeing today is new? Our problem has never been knowing. Every day of my life that I have struggled with lust and with sexual sin has not been one of not knowing, but of not doing. And all of that is because I have had an ache in my life where I don't look to God as good and I wrestle with whether he's good and I have to come to the point of receiving it or not. Here's a third. So you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as confused as you've been told you are. And number three, you are not as powerless as you feel you are. There's a difference between strength and power. Strength is like my seven-year-old nephew he tries to wrestle his 21-year-old brother. My sister has three kids, 21, 19, and, and now, now nine. Sorry, he's nine. Uh, and, and, and the nine-year-old's big. He's one of the biggest nine-year-olds I've seen. He's probably going to look like the 21-year-old. But the 21-year-old, I told you guys about the 21 and the 19-year-old. By the way, they're both still single. Girls, I told you guys that they are looking for godly women who... Uh, who, who are interested in dating, smart, athletic young men. Well, Micah's the captain of the Cornell football team now. He is 6'6 six, six and 350 pounds. He's huge. And he's amazing. He just called me before chapel and says, well, I'm going to visit them tomorrow. They're excited about me coming to visit. He's like, we can't go out to dinner. We got Bible study. I'm like, ditch Bible study. <laughs> I haven't been to see them all semester. And, and they're not. They're going to go to Bible study. We have to eat some greasy food after somewhere in Cornell. But, 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 but Sam, who's nine and like a squirt, I mean, he's a big squirt, but he's a squirt, will be like trying to fight Micah. I'm like, dude, why are you even bothering? You're not strong. Listen. There's a difference between just strength. Sin is like, in a sense, like Micah. No offense, Micah. But, but, but sin and temptation can feel big and mighty and strong. But power, the Bible tells us, comes not from us, but from the Spirit of God in us. So my best example of that is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul the Apostle says, man, I am weak. 
I, I know I'm weak. That's not the issue. It's that God's power is made perfect in my weakness. So we are not as powerless as we think we are. Shame makes us feel powerless. Failure makes us feel powerless when we try to be pure and we start to put the days of the week. And I know I see the time. Give me five minutes and we'll be done. And then and, and, and you guys are like, geez, you're pushing it now. But that's okay. Sean's not here. He's a strickler. But, but listen, listen. <laughs> Failure makes you feel stuck and powerless. Failure is, man, I tried to be holy. I told my boyfriend, I told my girlfriend that we're not going to do this. And the next day they came over and it was like every resolve is gone. Maybe you lasted a week and you think you're like so good. And a week later, you're back to watching what you shouldn't watch. You're back to doing the patterns that you shouldn't do. And it's like, it's like you, failure and shame can make you feel so powerless. Formulas can make you feel powerless. We're so good in the Christian world that's giving you formulas. Man, you can break computer codes. How many of us haven't downloaded on our phones all of the different ways that you can block? It's not about formulas or, 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 or streaks of success. It is about this, and it's the last point. So we're not as powerless as we feel we are, because God has given us himself through the Spirit. But this, it's that we're not as hopeless as we feel we are. There is a hope that comes from understanding the source of our power, and that hope is what we read in Genesis, where God shows up in the middle of the garden knowing exactly where Adam and Eve are and says, where are you? And while you and I might look at, at being found out as the worst thing that could happen to us, it is actually the biggest gift that God gives us, this invitation into the light. And as he deals with the sin that they have, and certainly there are consequences and and, and, and oh, by the way, always the consequences are less than we deserve. And the sooner you come into the light, the less the consequences are. I've thought a million times in my mind, what if Ravi Zacharias had fessed up to some of the stuff or others that have made it into the news? Would our lives have looked different? I think the cause of Christ would feel different and I think his legacy would be different and we would have some kind of mercy on the guy who doesn't have mercy on others. And we're not even God. And so there's God who sees Adam and Eve's poor way of hiding themselves, their shame. And he takes away their man-made little pieces of leaves. You've all seen the cartoons of Adam and Eve hiding behind some leaf. And he kills an animal. It says, the Lord God made for Adam and Eve garments of skins and clothed them. In a picture of the salvation that would be to come. He takes an animal, and for the first time in Scripture, we see this image of the necessity of the death. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we start seeing this progression of this illustration of an animal being killed, then a perfect lamb whose blood was shed, the Passover, Israel, Exodus, and then eventually the coming of Jesus Christ. And in a moment of deep mercy, the truth of 1 John 3, 1 becomes a reality that says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that you and I should be called children of God. So that no matter how deep your sin is and how many pages it takes for you to write it, with the hope that others might be encouraged by your own story of failure and weak, feeble attempts at defeating a struggle that is far bigger than you and I can ever muster, and then an awareness that there is a God who loves you so deeply that he's willing to die for you. And so this morning, the best news 
is that the moment you're willing to come into the light is the moment that you'll still experience this freedom. And so the question that I started with, is it worth the fight? It's worth the fight to live in freedom and without shame. And so God, I pray for every man or woman here who's struggling right now with this fear. What if they find out? God, may your grace find us out. May your grace heal us. May your love so delight us and engulf us and fill us. And Father, may your, the freedom that comes from knowing you unleash this generation of believers so that nothing would stand in the path of their calling, their freedom, their power that you've given them. Father, may you bring revival this week as we seek to honor you because of your love for us, God. We are indebted. God, I love you from the bottom of my heart. And I'm grateful for how you've worked in my life. And may my story be an inspiration for others, God. May you use it to glorify Jesus for all that you are. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Lena, for coming and launching into our week, our Wellness Week on Surrendered Sexuality. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.